way to live in this life and not live under law. And that is to be led by the Spirit, because there's going to be something motivating us, something controlling our conduct, something guiding our actions and our habits. Your parents teach you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. That's a law. That's a law you have to obey. Some of you kids know that. You've been spanked for not obeying the laws of your parents, or you've suffered other consequences. And in the church, there are laws. Church have ways that you should dress, and and, uh, that's necessary. They have ways that you should do this or do that. Some churches have more laws, more rules than other people do. So there's a tendency among Christians to just relax back, and once you obey the laws and you're accepted in the group, and once you have performed as is expected, then you get comfortable because your peer group is not condemning you. People are not finding fault with you. They're not judging you. Everyone knows that you're a good Christian. And Christianity uh, has been full of that. Uh, There have been different movements during my lifetime uh, where uh, men have gained followings by addressing conservative Christians. And there have been laws about birth control that they have passed down. Uh, One time there's a law, law about whole wheat bread that people were passing around. There have been laws about the length of your skirt. I remember when my wife was in Bible college, she wore a dress down to her ankles to the Bible college, very conservative Bible college. They sent her home because the law of the Bible college was it should be just below your knees a couple inches. And she looked too much like a hippie with her dress down that long. So she, though it was a lot more modest, it violated the code. And so different religious movements develop their codes of how to act and how to conduct yourself. Maybe that's necessary. Maybe that's inevitable. I I don't know. But let me, I do know this. I know that those codes and laws as they are often, most of the time, almost always take the place of the Spirit of God. Now, by throwing out the laws, that won't make you walk after the Spirit. That just makes you lawless. By throwing out the rules, that won't uh, make your heart turn towards God and put God in control of your life. But I say this to caution us because there are many among us, and some of you I'm talking to, that you don't really know God. You don't really walk after his spirit. You just walk after the laws of the Christian peer group that you're part of, and you conform to them. The interesting thing is that in this life is so designed that very few people get all the way through it without their true heart being exposed. Sometimes it takes a while. I was reading a while back about that uh, fellow who wrote uh, the book, uh, Kiss Dating Goodbye. He was a Calvinist. And after a while, he kissed God goodbye. Now, at one time, he was a very influential leader in homeschool movements and uh, conservative Christian life movements because he said the things that people wanted to hear. He provided the guidance that people felt they needed to live a conservative lifestyle. And so you have to ask yourself, here's a man who never knew God, never loved God, never worshiped God, although he had all the appearances of it at one time. He had a form of godliness, 
but he denied the power thereof. And he was a leading Christian spokesman, and yet this man obviously spent his whole life walking after some law, some rules. And he wrote a book with rules in it about how to date. Most of it, I suppose I never read it, but uh, I I would think that most of it was probably good and probably accurate. So there are others I could name. Uh, One recently, uh, a leading Christian just declared himself to be an atheist. One Christian singer who's been leading in Christian worship declared himself to be an atheist. So do these people have some crisis in life that changes them? No, it's just that life eventually works its way around to eliminating that fake life that we're living and makes the true self come out. So the Bible for the New Testament over and over again teaches one thing, that as a Christian, we should walk after the Spirit of God. Now, walking after is step by step, step after step. It's not an event like a one-time event. Walking after is this morning you get up and you walk after the Spirit of God is moving. You're following Him. You're walking after Him. You're not walking in front of Him. You're not walking beside Him. You're walking after Him And you follow the Spirit of God. Only then are you free from law. Because the Spirit of God supersedes all law. Not that it violates law, but it supersedes it. It supersedes it because it has a motivating power that the law doesn't have. The Spirit of God addresses the heart, not just the actions. So when we walk after the Spirit of God, we don't need the law. Uh, Someone said it this way, the law bid me walk, but gave me no feet. The spirit bid me fly and then gave me wings. Now, some of you are asking, how do you walk after the spirit? Let me clarify this. Being a charismatic does not mean you're walking after the spirit. Speaking in tongues, prophesying, exercise gifts of healing does not mean you're walking after the spirit. I have known many preachers that were involved in the miraculous movements who were fornicating regularly on the side or molesting children or stealing money. So belonging to a charismatic movement, you hear a lot of talk about the spirit. Uh, They name their churches, the free spirit or um, the spirit of grace or some other word where the word spirit appears in it. And they have little symbols with the spirit like a flame coming. And yet that is no guarantee to be walking after the spirit. Again, much of the walk is emotional and a lot of it is just intellectual, following the laws and the rules of the community. One church I read about involved in that fell into Christian nudity. And so the church gets together and takes their clothes off. I guess that makes it easier on Easter Sunday. There's no need for a new hat or a new dress. Now, I find that so absurd. It's funny. It's ridiculous. It is so far out that that I feel sorry for the people. But yet, that's what they came to. They weren't walking after the Spirit of God. Their laws and their rules changed as they were influenced by the television, by pornography, by modern movements, by psychology. Their rules changed. Nothing to guide them. The Spirit of God will guide you, Jesus said, 
into all truth. Now, I'm in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So it's a dichotomy. Either you walk after the flesh, which is this body. This body, the flesh, is what I smell. It's what I taste. It's what I see. It's what I hear. It's what I feel. That's the flesh. The flesh is the intellect. It is the emotions. It's all that makes up this soulish self. The animal part of me that's like a gorilla or a dog or a bull or some other creature that paws its way through this life. All those drives and passions are natural and they're just flesh. Flesh is that which ceases to exist after we die. It's that which passes away. It's that which is not eternal, does not belong to God in the spirit forever in heaven. So it's very difficult not to walk after the flesh. In fact, it's an impossibility. There's no other way to determine our course. There's no other course to have but the flesh. That is, we eat, we sleep, we drink, we uh, play sports, we go fishing, hunting, throw knives and tommyhawks, play pool, uh, play checkers or Monopoly or watch cartoons or whatever it is you do. All of that is the activity of the flesh. It's the same thing that sinners do. Now, sinners may look at pornography when you don't, but it's all just the activities of the flesh. Rules sometimes put governors on the action of the flesh. Rules keep us from doing, going too far into the expressions of the flesh. So he says, walk after the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see, the flesh doesn't know how to do anything but lust. That's the natural nature of all flesh, your flesh. He said, for the law of the spirit of life, the law of the spirit of life. That's a different law. He calls it a law because it is a, a, a rule of governing, a rule of living. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is that flesh we have which sins and dies. But the Spirit of God has made us free from it. For what the law could not do. Now that's very emphatic. For what the law could not do. What can the law not do? The law cannot make you holy. It can make you uh, not use birth control if that's what you're into. Or make you uh, make whole wheat bread. Or not eat sugar. Or not watch television. Or not do a whole a lot of different things. But what the law of God cannot do, what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. So the law will never make you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. The law will never make you love your neighbors yourself. The law will never make you show mercy when there's reason not to. It'll never make you kind when other people are unkind. Never make you forgiving when other people are bitter and hostile towards you. The law will never make you love people that are unlovely and give to people that won't give back. The law will never do that. In fact, he says that for what the law could not do and is weak through the flesh, God seeing his own son, the likeness of sinful flesh for sin condemns sin the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. 
So kids, adults, what you need to do, what I need to do is learn to walk after the Spirit of God. He says, uh, for if you receive not that you've received not the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's what the Spirit of God does. It cries out to God. The Spirit of God knows God. The Spirit of God is, in fact, in us is fellowship, fellowship with God. It's communion. Uh, how, should, how will I explain that? How will I define that? How, how do you uh, put your finger on the Spirit of God in you? How do you? Where do you find that Spirit? How do you identify the Spirit of God in you? How do you know when you're walking after the Spirit of God? The best way I can illustrate it is an illustration I put in my book to train up a child years ago, where I said, when I was a young kid, about four years old, I think I was, I was walking along with uh, two other boys, the older than me, five or six years old, and uh, in, a, in a city environment, one of them pulls out a slingshot and breaks a, a window at basement level, it's like a basement window, sub house window. Uh, below the main foundation, right above the ground level, just a little square window like that, broke it out. And so the other kid took the slingshot and he broke one of the windows. And then they handed me the slingshot to break a window. Now, I'd never shot a slingshot. That's those rubber things you pull back like that, you know, to shoot. And so I was, and these, these I looked up to these guys, they were older than me. And so the, the idea of using that slingshot to break a window gave me a real sense of thrill. Uh, it, it appealed to my flesh. And uh, so I took it in my hand, and I prepared to do what they suggested I do. And I saw in my mind my father's disappointment. Now, he'd never told me, he'd never given me a law that thou shalt not break windows with a slingshot <laughs> that never entered his mind or mine either. He never said that. And he never warned me that he's going to spank me, whip me. He called it whipping back then. Never going to whip me if I broke out the neighbor's windows. And that wasn't what I thought about. It wasn't the fear of punishment that came into my mind. What came into my mind was the thought that my daddy would look totally disappointed, that he'd be disheartened, that it, he would, he would, he would look at me to say, how could a pearl do something like that? How could you destroy somebody else's property? How could you cause them loss? And it was like my father's spirit was there present with me at that moment. So I handed the slingshot back to the kid, as difficult as it was, and I said, no, I'm not going to do it. And I walked after my father's spirit. It was a spirit of fellowship that I was walking after. It was a spirit of communion. And you can find the spirit of God in you. It, it's easy to find the spirit of God in you when you worship. When you read the scriptures and you see the glory of God and the wonder of God and the beauty of God, it, it gives you a sense of his presence and, and you worship. Even sinners do that. A lot of people think because they see the majesty of God and are awed by it that that's worship. It's not necessarily True worship involves a surrender, uh, involves a, a, a acceptance of all that God is and a diminishing of all that self is where we are contrary to the will of God. So true worship bows down. 
true worship uh, acknowledges God's kingship. So it's when, when that happens, that stirring inside of you is the spirit of God. Now you need to be able to separate that from emotion. Uh, a lot of times we reflect on what we're feeling as we have an emotional feeling about what, what we're seeing. And so it gives us a sense of exhilaration. You get that watching a movie. You get that uh, when the flag is being waved or your favorite team wins. So looking beyond that, looking to your fellowship with God himself, the presence of God in your life and his speaking to your spirit directly, that's the spirit of God. That's the spirit you need to walk after. It is when you open your mouth and say something that you know was critical or bitter or unkind, you feel, you see, you sense, you know God's sadness with that. You know how it's hurt God, how it's hurt his kingdom. Even if no one else knows about it or cares or no one present thought what you said was inappropriate, you know it was because the spirit of God in you is grieved. The spirit of God in you is quenched. And there's a sense of a cloud that would come over and separate you from God. At that point, you rebuke that in your own thinking. I, in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm dead to that. That's wrong. I and you reject that feeling that you have toward that person, feeling of criticism and, and uh, condemnation. And you walk after the Spirit of God. Walk, you turn your back on that spirit of the flesh, and you walk after the spirit of God. You go the way God's going. And when you do that enough times, you begin to be very sensitive and aware of the presence of the spirit of God so that you're able to walk after him on a regular basis. I'm looking at the scriptures here now. He said the spirit, in Romans 8, helps our infirmities. Because God knows that we are weak and mentally, emotionally, spiritually, helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. So, you know, we're, we are so carnal, we do not have an understanding of the will of God. We don't know what to pray for. We don't know what's the will of God and what's not. Should I ask God to do this or that? Should I ask him to heal me or help me endure it? Should I ask him to heal my mother or should she die? Uh, what's, the, what's God's will in this? I don't know. Likewise, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So he said, God is so gracious and kind that when it comes time, a, a, a crisis we face, an issue, and we don't know how to pray, just groan in God's direction. And in, in other words, something deep from in the Spirit, something that is real, and when we groan in God's direction, the Spirit of God takes that groaning and translates it into a prayer for the very thing we need. We don't know what it is we need. And that prayer goes up before God, and the answer comes back. And that's, that's a pretty good deal right there. Galatians chapter 5, he says, uh, The flesh lusteth against the Spirit, verse six seventeen. The flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So the flesh is always resisting the spirit, and the spirit of God is always resisting the flesh. That creates a conflict within us until we surrender to the spirit. He said the fruit of the spirit is love, 
joy, peace. So where the Spirit of God is, there'll be love. Where there's not love, the Spirit of God is not there. The Spirit of God does not produce other than love. Joy. Where you are unhappy, complaining, miserable, you, you're disappointed, that's not the Spirit of God. Spirit of God brings joy, peace. Where you're upset, emotionally disturbed, that's not God. God brings peace. Long-suffering. You say, you don't know what I'm putting up with. No, but God will send more of it until you learn to suffer with it because learn to endure it. That's what the Spirit of God does. gives you the ability to endure long-suffering. Gentleness. Spirit of God makes you gentle. doesn't make you harsh. Goodness and faith. Meekness doesn't make you proud and arrogant. doesn't make you uh, show off meekness. Temperance. Temperance is self-control, and that has to do with alcohol, has to do with food of all kinds. Probably that's the main issue. has to do with uh, your, how much you work and don't work. You can work too much and be intemperate. You can work not enough and be intemperate. Uh, so it's a good balance of life is temperance. Against such, this is interesting, all this list, I'll give you the list again. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. What's he saying? What we've been saying to you is that there's no law can produce these things. No law can give you joy. No, no law can give you love. No law can give you peace. How do you legislate long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, temperance against such there is no law. So there's nothing in the law that will bring you to these things. Only the Spirit of God will do that. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So if you live there, walk there. Now, kids, if you're five years old, you can do this. You can walk in the Spirit. Uh, in the family there, when there's conflict, ask yourself, is that me? Is that my flesh? Is that my carnal self wanting to get my way? Am I being proud and haughty and selfish? Should I give over? Should I be kind? Should I be loving? Should I be meek? And if you, if you will confess right there to God quietly, I mean, it just happens just like that, but you confess, God, I, I don't want to be like this. This is not me. I want to walk after your spirit. Then the spirit of God opens up a way for you to walk. And you walk after the spirit of God, and there's an instant sense of peace, instant sense of joy, knowing you're in God's will. Your, your parents will wonder what's wrong with you. They'll think maybe you've got a fever. Uh, the brother and sister will think you've gotten weak because you're not fighting back anymore. And uh, people will wonder what's wrong with you. But after two or three days, they'll figure it out. And you might transform your whole fighting family into a family that walks after the Spirit of God. 